Let's turn together to John chapter 15. This week, we uh, will begin our summer community groups. And um, much like our, like during the school year community groups, we're going to connect Sundays and Wednesdays. And so um, if you have not signed up for summer groups, I want to encourage you to do that. You can do so on our uh, on our app. If you were to open the, the, the Church Connect app and you were to go to it right now, you will see a sign up for uh, summer groups. And you can even do it right now during the sermon. It will not hurt my feelings at all. Um, it's Wednesday nights from 6.15 to 7.30. There's no dinner uh, this year. We felt like that kind of complicated some things. But if you want to come early, if you want to pick up food, that's totally cool. Uh, there is child care for um, like your birth through four-year-olds will do your normal child care thing. Kindergarten through third grade are going to have their own uh, special kind of curriculum they're going to go through. And then fourth grade and up are going to come in with us as grown-ups. And so uh, that's going to be a fun dynamic to, to add to summer groups. But if you, um, if you are one of the many, many people who will say things like, I really, like, I really want to meet more people in the church, but I'm not sure how to do that. Or if you've been visiting for a little bit and you've been looking for a good first step in to get a little bit deeper, this is perfect. Four Wednesday nights, uh, you sign up, we put you in a group, we try to strategically mix them up with people that you're not normally in a group with. Some, there'll be some, but not all. Um, and uh, so you sign up, you'll get an email that'll tell you exactly what to do on, on Wednesday and what room that you will go to. So we'll be here on campus, we'll be in four different rooms, you'll go to that room all the weeks, and then the, the people leading the groups are going to just rotate around. And so um, we're going to be going through different aspects of John 15 on Sundays, but also in those groups, and it is a like, perfect time to sign up and to, and it's low commitment, it's just four weeks. And even if you're like, hey, I'm going to be out of town, some of those, you know, just sign up anyway, uh, we'll put you in a group, and when you're here, you're here, when you're not, we'll miss you. Um, so that starts this week, and we are going to be studying through John 15 uh, a little bit at a time. So back after Easter, I, uh, I did two Sundays and looked at the vine and the branches and that kind of stuff, and there was enough feedback to kind of be like, hey, we should maybe consider doing a deeper dive into this during summer groups, and then uh, tying it to Sundays made sense because there's some, there's some challenging verses in this passage uh, and so the challenging stuff, I'll try to tackle that on Sundays, and then the deeper dive into very specific aspects will happen on Wednesdays. Um, and so let's, let's just really look at the first five verses this morning, and I hope, um, hope that this maybe kind of primes the pump a little bit to get us ready for what's, what's going to happen um, as we proceed. So here we go, John 15, 1 through 5. The context, Jesus is spending his last night with his disciples before his crucifixion. So this would be Thursday night of Holy Week. Um, and he is giving them uh, this, John has given us this incredible gift of like, hey, here's everything that Jesus said on his last night with us. And kind of in the middle of it, he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there's a lot in there. And if you were to go back and listen to, it's like the end of April, there's two sermons that come from here. There's a lot in there about what abiding means and all the different contexts where it's used and about bearing fruit and all that. And so I was trying to think, of like, okay, I just talked through this. Some of y'all are like, I don't think he did. I'm like, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I did. I, w- I had to go back and look at the podcast, and I did. And um, so I was like, okay, so what's the, what should be the approach this time through? And uh, years ago, I taught through this and used something that I use a lot in, like in my life, in talking with others, if I were a parent, I would use I would use these four questions with my kids, and uh, I'd use it a lot in like counseling kinds of sessions. But also, like especially like for myself, in times when uh, I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes I have a disproportionate response to things. You ever do that? You know, something happens, and instead of you reacting on like a six, you react on like a nine. Or the other way, sometimes something happens and you should be a six, but you're like a two. And you're like, what? Why am I, do I not feel? Am I a robot now? Why, why is it this moving me more? Or why did I, like, I don't want to use the, the word overreact because I feel like that's used to like shame us a lot. Like, oh, quit overreacting, you know. It's just there are times when your response to something is just, it's disproportionate to what actually happened. And so in those times when I am, like, I'm more angry than I should be, I'm more frustrated than I should be, um, when I'm slow to deflect, or when something really should, like, something that breaks Jesus' heart should also break my heart, and I'm kind of indifferent about it, I try to catch myself, and in a, in a, a way of kind of trying to self-regulate, right, like trying to... Uh, not let my emotions and my circumstances and those kind of things bully me and push me around. I'm trying to be like, no, like I need to, I, like Jesus has given me his, his self-control. And so like I can, I can get to where I need to get. These questions have been very helpful. And to tie them to the vine and the branches, I think is, is really like maybe beneficial. And so this will kind of be a, a synopsis to kind of push us into summer groups a little bit as well. The first question that I ask myself is, is like is who who is he like who is god and whatever is going on in this moment who who is this god that i'm supposed to be praying to listening to yielding to submitting to and this is obviously a character of, of question uh, i'm so, sorry a question of character of identity like who is this god of mine we know from the from the scriptures that like God is not uh, he's not been shy in telling us who he is. Like in Psalm one forty five verse eight, it tells us that he is gracious and gracious not in like a not in like in like a southern gentleman kind of gracious way. Like gracious, like he does not make you earn anything from him. He's gracious that he is merciful. Some translations would say compassionate. That God is one who cares about those in distress, those who are hurting. 
is that he is slow to anger. He's not a hothead. He's not up there just waiting to just like crush people with this hammer of wrath. That's not who he is. He is infinitely patient. That's great news, right? And he is abounding in the kind of love that is steady, steadfast, and holy. That it's not the kind of love that makes you earn his love. It's just the love that he just gives you. That he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. When Paul is telling us about the fruit of the Spirit, which will be a part of what we talk about in groups this summer, he's like, Here, here's, here's, how, here's how God shows up in our lives. There are all these qualities of God that show up in our lives. That he is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's, he's describing himself over and over to us. And all of those things, it's not just peace the way that we think of peace. It's, it's holy, divine peace. It's not the patience that you try to muster up in traffic when you're like just about to lose it. It's, no, it's this holy, pure, like spring of living water kind of patience. That every way we would describe him, it's the holy version of that. It's unaffected by sin. There's nothing that has been distorted. It is the pure God version of all those things. And that's the stuff he shares with us. There's also the things he doesn't share with us. That he is all-knowing. He is uh, 100% fully present everywhere all the time. He was not created. He, he uh, is this uncreated one. It's like this super mysterious thing. He, he's infinite. There is no, at no point does he run out of anything or of himself. That he is limitless in that regard, he is outside of time, and so we're operating in a moment-by-moment moment sense of time, but he meets us in like this time, but also from this perspective of like, hey, I know exactly what's coming your way in a few months, and I'm going to get you ready for it if you'll listen to me. So you, all of those things, like we just compile it, and sometimes when we are, when we are having a disproportionate response to something, it's because we have kind of forgotten who he is. And in the passage, Jesus says, uses some really specific descriptions. Look at verse 1. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Okay, so what, is it, what does it mean to be a, uh, a vine dresser? That is the, the guardian and the master overseer of the vineyard. He knows exactly what the vineyard needs, and he knows how to make it happen. And so in the midst of all those other kinds of things, in, in terms of this analogy, as, as Jesus kind of builds this analogy out, he's like, okay, God the Father is the vine dresser. He's in charge of the vineyard. He knows exactly what he's doing because he is all those things. And as a vine dresser, he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self, self-control, the holy version of all those things. He is omniscient and uh, omnipresent, and omnibenevolent, and infinite. He's all those things as the vine dresser standing in front of a vineyard. That is who he is. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of all that. And then Jesus tells us that in this illustration, that he, being Jesus, is the, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. 
We know from other places that he is, like read Philippians 2, that he is humble. That he is a servant. That he is self-sacrificing. That he is obedient to the will of the Father. That he is an heir to all things. We know that he is a brother and a friend and a shepherd and a husband and a head of the church and is seated at the right hand of God, and he is sharing in the spoils of his own victory. That's who Jesus is. He's all of those things. And in this illustration, the Father is the vine dresser, and Jesus is the vine himself. In other words, like he's the, he's the, the trunk of the, of the vine that goes down into the ground. He's the main part of it. He, says, he gets to the part. He says, you're the, you're the branches. Okay, so there's branches coming off of this those central vine. He's like, okay, and this, like to help you understand some of the complexities of like how God interacts with you, the, the father's the vine dresser, I'm the vine. And so the father is tending to the vine, giving the vine everything the vine needs. That's who they are to us. And this is how we can describe the one who, who is speaking to us, who is guiding us along. That he's not playing hide and seek with us. You know, he communicates very openly. And he's like, okay, in this relationship, it's very important that you know who I am. And it may be helpful to you in, the, in this moment to think of that question, who is God? When you put them all together, it makes sense. So let's just kind of have that, that, that foundation. If you're, if you're dysregulated, if you're trying to like have an appropriate response to something, um, whatever it may be, you start off with being like, okay, who is God again? Who is he again? Who has he told us that he is? Who, what does his track record prove to be true? We've been singing this morning like, like, oh yeah. That's a part of why when we come together and we begin to sing... Your like in internal life can start to reorder itself. Like things are all discombobulated, and all of a sudden it kind of starts. To, some things start to settle down, especially if we're humble and we're teachable, and we let him do it. And he begins to realign some things, and it all begins with, "Who is he?" So that's the first question that I will ask myself, and I'll ask to other people, and it would be worth asking yourself too: Who who is he? The second question is very similar as who am I? Who is he? Okay. He's the vine dresser. He's the vine. He's all those things. Now, who, who am I? I pulled together uh, from different parts of Scripture. All these come from the Bible, um, but just for the matters of time and space, I'll just read them to you. I am a child and brother through his adoption of me. I'm a co-heir with Jesus. I'm an important part of the body of Christ. I'm an, I'm an image bearer. I am a redeemed saint. I'm an eternally treasured new creation. I am part of a chosen race and royal priesthood and holy nation and part of a people that are for his own possession. I'm blessed. I'm kept. I'm shined upon by the gracious face and countenance of God. I'm a receiver of true peace and the living hope that Jesus provides. You, you got to know who you are. And I don't know if, you, if your kids went to camp and then came back and told you about this part, but there was one day of camp where they stood in, in front of a mirror and the leaders would have them, would read these identity statements to them and then have the kids look themselves in the mirror and say, I am these things. 
And you want to get your mind right? You want to get your heart in order? Believe what God has told you about yourself. That everything I just read that's true about me, that's me trying to like coach myself through a moment. That's also you coaching yourself through a moment. Who is God? He is all those, all those things. But who am I? Who has he made me? Who does he say that I am? I don't know if you guys are uh, part of the, like, it seems like everyone in the world who is going to see Top Gun Maverick has seen it at this point, and it's a fantastic movie. Um, and there's this one part in the movie, this won't give anything away, uh, but he's going through this kind of, like, crisis and... Uh, I almost called him Top Gun. That's not his name. Maverick. Uh, Maverick is working through it, and he's talking about like being being a pilot. And he says, uh, "It's not just what I do; it's who I am." I don't want to be like false, false narrative there, Maverick. Sorry. It's not who you are. What you do for a living is not who you are. What you look like is not who you are. What you've been through is not who you are. Those things describe you. They do not define you. And I know you've heard me say that a million times. And as long as I'm in this role, I will keep saying those things. Because the world around us is trying to tell us the opposite, right? Even in really great movies like that one. You are not defined by anything other than what Jesus looks at you and says is true about you. And so that's why there's power in, in asking ourselves the question, who is God? What is his identity? And when you put it all together like that, you're like, well, that's, he must be pretty believable. So what does he say about little old me? Stand in front of a mirror just like your kid's dead and claim the things that he says about you as being true. And so in this agricultural metaphor what does he say verse 2 oh sorry um, look at verse 5 I'm going to hop around a bit I'm the vine you are the branches Okay, so we have a vine dresser we have a vine and coming off of those off of that one vine are all these branches so we're learning our place here right? that, that we're not the I'm not the vine dresser I'm not in charge of the vineyard. I'm not even in charge of my own, like, life. Not ultimately. Don't hear me saying throughout all self-responsibility. You know what I'm saying. I'm not the vine dresser. I'm not the vine. I'm not my own source of water and nutrients and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm a branch. Not that a branch is insignificant. A branch is very significant. But there are times when we are maybe having disproportionate responses or we're just in a bad place and just, just wherever, and, and we're trying to give some self-leadership and follow the Lord back to himself. And a part of that realization is like, oh, I'm in a weird spot because I've been trying to be the vine dresser. I've been trying to like control my own life. I've been trying to Control the other lives of others around me, that kind of thing. Uh, or, oh, I've been trying to be my own source of power and strength and, and, and wisdom and all that. 
So there's something very, very powerful about like walking ourselves through, like, who is he? Now, who, who am I? And when he says that he's the vine and we're the branches, what is a, what is a branch? A branch cannot live or bear fruit on its own. If you cut a branch off of the vine, it begins to die immediately. You've heard me say that over the years. Think about all the hurricanes that we have been through and the piles and piles of branches that are out there and how, they, how quickly they begin to die. They cannot be their own source. And so as we are trying to get back to where we want to be, the identity and character of God and the identity and character of ourselves, very, very important. But it all begins with the believability of God that he knows he is right in who he says he is and who he says that we are. Notice something interesting. I didn't talk about this a few weeks ago. Look at verse 3. He says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, remember, he's talking to his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. And he has been teaching them and speaking the truth from the moment that he has met them all the way up until this point. That he has been cutting away lies, false narratives, wrong beliefs, about God, about themselves, about salvation, about works, about religion, about nation, about their nationality, about who the Messiah is, about who is in charge, about who the vine dresser is and who the vine is and who they are. He's been cleaning them. That's a, that's a vineyard term. That when the vine dresser goes through and begins to prune things and cut away the things that aren't bearing fruit so that they bear more fruit. That's part of how that works. The vine dresser is going through doing what he's doing, and that's called cleaning the vine. Has God ever tried to clean stuff out of your life? Has he ever come to you and been like, nope, this is, this is just bringing death into your life. Let's, let's cut this out. Let's cut this out. Let's, bear more, let's, let's bring about more fruit in this relationship. Let's bring about more fruit in the way that you speak. Let's, be, let's bring about more fruit in the way that you spend those kinds of things. And so God is cleaning us with his very words. Like the very words of God, that is how God cleans our lives up, by giving us a standard of truth by which we are to live. And there's, a lot of times there's, you know, debates in evangelical churches about you know, the, the Bible and uh, is, it the, is it the holy word of God, is it... Um, is, are there any flaws and is it infallible? You know, there's a lot of those debates that have happened in the last you know, 50 years, longer than that too. But it's become really like divisive in a lot of churches. And we're certainly, uh, there's no shortage of things to get divided on, right? And so for, you know, for me, when I, I have a, what I consider a high view of Scripture, but, I, but not in the sense that I think that we need to worship the Bible, you know? There are times when oh, you almost hear people talking about the Bible and it's like, is there a, should we put the Bible with the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son and the Trinity? Like, are we supposed to like exalt the scriptures above all of that? There, there are times when that becomes hard to know what to do. And some people, when they say they have a high view, it means like everything is very literal, you know. Um, and one of my seminary professors was like, you know, if, if we want to do that, if we want to like 
If your right eye offends you, cut it out. Then we can go that route if y'all want to. You know, everyone's like, mm, no, good. But I, when I say high view of Scripture, I mean like this, this is, he is telling us what is true and right and correct through his words. And we're trying to interpret that correctly, trying to get that right. Because this is a part of how he cleans us. So part of how we know that, yeah, my emotions are telling me this and culture is telling me this, but, but what is the vine dresser telling me? What is the vine telling me? How can he, how is he cleaning my life? Not only are you, him saying you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you, not only that, but it's dispelling that myth that we're just like a bunch of like pathetic sinners, you know? That, that identity statement that gets brought into, into church vernacular so easily that a lot of us grew up under kind of the shame of that. We say, like, oh, I'm, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yes, you're a sinner in the way that, like, Emmett and Justin and Houston were guitar players today. Like, yeah, sure, we... We, the things we do, that's fine, but it's not an identity statement. These guys are not, like, their identity is not being a guitar player. Maverick's identity is not, like, being a pilot. Your identity is not wrapped up in, like, your sinning track record. God tells us that you are clean because of the word he's spoken to you, beginning with the salvation that comes to your life by grace through faith. Not of your own doing, not of your own works, so that none of us get super boastful. And so who is God? Who am I? If we get those identity things in the right place, we get those synced up, some things really start to fall in line. He's like, okay, life can be hard sometimes, so let's let's use a vineyard. He, Father's the vine dresser, Jesus is the true vine. You are the branches. You're not the vine. You're not the vine dresser. You're not even the fruit. You're the branches. Third question. Where is he? Sometimes when we are, when we're in a bad, in a bad way, uh, a part of what we come to believe is that God has left us. Or that he is mad at us, that he has turned his back on us somehow, that he's distracted, that he's too busy giving our uh, like our coworkers exactly what they want in life, whether they're asking it or not, and he's depriving us of something because of you know whatever we get we get all this kind of weird karma stuff going on. So where is he? Look at verse four. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so where is Jesus? He is abiding inside of you. If you're looking, if you're, if you were to stand in front of a vineyard to try to understand this metaphor a little bit more, 
I'm the vine, you're the branches. Like, where's Jesus in this? Well, he's, he's at the base of me. There's that point where the, the vine and the branches, when the vine and a branch connect, that's where Jesus is. He's connected to you. I grew up in Baptist churches, and the, that, was the, that phrasing was used a lot of like, well, if you want to ask Jesus into your heart, do this, 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 you know, come pray this prayer and that kind of thing. And which is really confusing when you're a child because you're very literal and you're like, how is Jesus going to get into there? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But it comes from passages like this about Christ in you is the hope of glory, that, that you are abiding in him and he is abiding in you, that you are connected. Like if you were to, to, to pry your way through the branches all the way down to find where a particular branch was connected to that vine, that's, that's where he is. He's at the beginning of you. He's at the base. That when we profess faith in Jesus, that he, he has come to save us from ourselves, that he, like we are indwelled with God. That word abide, it, it, it shows up 120 times in the New Testament, but it, is used in different ways to describe different scenarios. So let me just run through this list and just mash all of those into one kind of understanding real quick. Abide means to remain, to journey, to tarry, to not depart from somewhere, to continually be present somewhere, to be held, to be kept, to continue to be, to... to Something that does not perish because it lasts, it endures, it survives. To, you remain as one and you don't change and become something else. You're consistent, constantly waiting and constantly dwelling. All of that stuff, Jesus is trying to help you understand. Yeah, it's, that might be complex, but yeah, it's kind of like that vine and that branch. If you were to like zoom in and like deep dive into like try to find where does the branch end and the and the and the like where does the vine where's the very beginning of that branch you wouldn't be able to because all the fibers are all caught up in it. Like I said a few weeks ago, if you ever like had to cut up trees, when you get to the fork in a tree, you don't even mess you don't even mess with that part. You just throw it on the fire because those fibers everything is so grown together that you can't really tell where one starts and the other one stops that's just how it how it is and Jesus is like no like I'm I'm like abiding in you and you're like man even even though I just reacted that way to that even when I was ranting about that even though I felt so sad even though I, I feel so lonely even though I can't break out of this habitual pattern, even though you've told me over and over and over again to walk away from something and I just keep saying that I know better, like, yeah. His remaining, his abiding does not change based on our behavior. So where, where is he? Right here, like closer than we can imagine. Where's the vine dresser? Right there. Like, when, like, close enough to clean your life and prune things out and do, like, bring out of you the fruitfulness that you have. 
You can't be a vine dresser remotely. Anyone that's ever been a gardener or had any sort of like plants, you have to like get up in there. And so is he off somewhere else? Has he forgotten about you somewhere? No, he is always near, always in fullness. No matter how much you flake out, he's not doing the same. Sometimes we, we kind of make him like one of us. Even though all throughout the Bible, he's like, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I'm not like you. You're in my image, yes, but we're not the same. But I'm, I'm willing to like not hold that against you. So who is he? Who am I? Where is he? And the last question, you might have guessed it, where am I? Look again at verse 4. Where am I? Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Where am I? Well, I'm also abiding in him. He is in me, I am in him. Together our lives are hidden with Christ and God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. That just because I feel far from God, it doesn't mean that he's far away. It also doesn't mean that I'm far away. Where, where am I? I'm also in full view of the vine dresser. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So where am I? One, I'm attached to Jesus because he's abiding in me and I'm abiding in him. Two, I'm in full view of the vine dresser who is there pruning things out of my life, cutting things out of my life. It's not only about his proximity to me, but my proximity to him. And just so I, it's, it's important that we know that he is not turning his back on us because of our behavior. It's also important to know that you can't turn your back on him. You might think that you can. Because we, we become convinced that we're very powerful, that we can unabide. And he's like, no, it doesn't really work that way. You can, you can keep turning your back on me, but I'm just going like, to come around. Because you know, I'm all around you. you know? So where's Jesus? Abiding in you. Where's the vine dresser? Right there, tending to you. But also, look at verse 5. Notice the plural that he uses. I'm the vine, you are the branches. In terms of where am I, not only am I abiding in Christ and he and me, and I'm in full view of the vine dresser, I'm also intermingled with a bunch of other branches. I live in a community of faith. All of our lives are, are intertwined and intermingled, and we are supporting one another. The vineyard is very strong. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm no, like, no vine dresser, but been around vines enough to know there are some that go rogue. Sure. Vine dresser comes in and kind of pulls them back into the fold. And they end up growing one another, and there's a strength that's there. They're supporting one another. The, the fruit that is happening is happening from the group. It's not this individual project. And so if we're going to ask, like, where am I? It's important to know that Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, and that the vine dresser is right there. But also, you are surrounded by people because God designed it that way. 
We're, we're meant for this. We're made in the image of God, and God himself is a community. It's, it's a part of who we are in our identity. Like, we are meant to be in relationship with each other. doesn't mean you have to have hundreds of best friends. But it does mean that you are not created to be an island. You cannot sustain that. We learned a lot of that the hard way during COVID when we were told, like, hey, you got to stay home. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, I kind of need people. Like, I need three-dimensional eye contact, you know? Like, like, I need, like, presence. I need to hear people's voices. And so we're like, let's, let's meet in the driveway if we need to. Let's go do something outside. Let's do whatever we can do to be safe because God created us and wired us up for that on purpose. In other words, when I'm, if, I'm, if I'm asking myself, where am I, at no point is the answer... Uh, totally alone. At no point is that like where I actually am. If I feel that I'm alone, then that's my feelings. That's, if I've come to believe that, it means I'm believing something that is not true. So let's, let's think through those four questions again. You're in a bad way. Okay. Who is God? Who am I? Where is God? Where am I? At times, it's hard to remind ourselves of that. And I wonder if Jesus was like, I'm just going to give you this really helpful little analogy. Because the identity of God, the character of God is too important to forget. And the identity and character of you, of us, too important to forget. The proximity of God, too important to ever question uh, the proximity of you to him and to one another absolutely must be intact. Let's, let's find a way to pull all those things together. Oh, yeah, what does that? A vineyard. Father's the vine dresser. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Abide in me and I in you. This is how you bear fruit. The fruitfulness, that's important to talk about, yes, but it all comes from the goodness of those relationships all happening in, in, in pure and healthy and holy ways. That's what we're trying to do as a church community is let God form us into like, like these kinds of people. Like I want to be the kind of person who never forgets the correct answer to any, any of those four questions, but I am a human being. I struggle my way through life. And there are times when I will remember and there are times when I will forget. And one of the things that helps me remember the most is being with you. It does. Also reminds me is his word right here. This reminds me of these things. You know, it also reminds me of stuff, songs that we sing. And so I want to grow and mature where I would love to say, like, I never, ever forget the true answer to any of those questions. Maybe God's like, hey, you know what would be better? Just live in the vineyard. Just be a branch. Draw everything you need from the true vine. Trust the vine dresser to like, prune your life uh, with the truth. And do that intermingled with other branches. And let's bring about the kind of fruitfulness that people who are not a part of this vineyard would walk by and be like, I want to be a part of that vineyard. That's, that's awesome. And that's what it's for, right? Like, 
Israel was supposed to be the place, like he, God called Israel his vineyard so that the nations, when they passed through, they would come through and they would say, these people love. They are generous. They are kind. They are gracious and compassionate. They are slow to anger and they are abounding in steadfast love. How in the world does that happen? Because all we know outside of this is violence and self-centeredness and greed, and all these kind of other things. But when we pass through this group of people, there's something different about them. Pardon me, can I ask you, why are you guys so weird? And they say, we worship Yahweh. We're his vineyard. You want to join? Like, if you're here and you've, you've never come to Jesus before and recognized him as the, like, saving you from yourself, all you have to do is say, I, I believe that you are who you've said you are. You don't have to be a, a scholar in theology and any of that kind of stuff. That conversation can happen for you today. You just tell him, I trust you that you are my Savior. And then you need to tell someone else before you go. That's the other part of it. Because we can't keep that to ourselves. And so the next couple of weeks, we'll keep going through this passage and letting God hopefully just breathe maybe new life into our understanding of these like this illustration that he's given us. But man, for those questions, to be able to answer those questions should realign us internally in a way that will then work its way outward. And so I hope that that is encouraging to you this morning. Even if you're like, I've heard all this before, it's just good to hear it again sometimes, right? Um, But every single bit of it comes down to the fact that Jesus was willing to come lay his life down so that we could have the correct answers to those questions. And so that's what we're here to celebrate. So for the next few moments, that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. Uh, we'll have communion available to your right. Uh, remember, we go clockwise uh, to get communion. And when you step up to get communion, someone's going to say to you, this is the body of Christ that's broken for you. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. And in addition to the vine and the branches, he's given us this little meal to remind us of these really deep and powerful truths that he laid his life down so we could know the answers to these questions. And so I'd invite you to sing, to pray, whatever you need to do in these moments. Because you know how it is. We say the priestly blessing and then Sunday commences, you know. So let's sing together. Let's enjoy this community response for the next few minutes. Lord, I thank you for um, for giving us a reason to come together this morning. And what, um, what important questions these are. Like to know your character, to know our identity, to know your nearness, and to also know our own nearness and community. We're thankful that you said that you were the true vine because we live in a world that's trying to mislead us a lot and tell us to draw from other sources for wisdom and strength and power and salvation. And so we humble ourselves under your mighty hand this morning. And we just want to sing and receive communion and just be a bunch of branches not focused on the fruit of our lives, but focused on the goodness of our vine 
and our vine dresser. So move among us, Lord, in these moments. And may this time of response be exactly what you want it to be. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.